the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are recovering from all the festive TV binging with more TV. Specifically, we declare a national emergency for Sky's cabinet crisis drama, Cobra, which I've just realised I've kind of made it sound like an episode of 24 set in Ikea, but I assure you it is not that. Uh, we also see the homicidal side of Jason Bateman in creepy Stephen King adaptation The Outsider and are treated to a three-minute wanking montage in the triumphant return of Netflix's Sex Education. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast and this, our first show of 2020. We hope our absence last week didn't cause too much distress, but rest assured that all three of us have been sucking in telly like so many milkshakes, ready to regurgitate them into your ears today, or something slightly less disgusting. Um, joining me as ever, my two trusty companions. First up, the huskier to my Geralt, <laughs> a bard of no small renown ever ready to toss a coin to his witcher. It's Boyd Hilton. How are you, Boyd? I'm all right, yeah. He's still watching The Witcher. Have you watched it all? I've watched it all. Uh, have, have you noticed that like that song, Toss a Coin to yeah. Your Witcher, became like the Christmas number one or something? Among nerds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was, yeah I, not, in, not in the real world. It was a really earworm. I couldn't get it out of mm. my head. Toss a coin to your Witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, oh. Netflix oh, um. haven't released the soundtrack yet, but rest assured well, when they do, I will be there. Of course you will. Yes. Continuing the Witcher theme, we are also joined by Pilot's very own Queen Calanthe. She is the warrior ruler of Sintra, has absolutely no time for hedgehog nights, and will throw you in a cell if you even think of giving her side eye. It's Terry White. What are you going on about? I mean, you wouldn't know because you gave up on the best show of 2019, otherwise known as Netflix's The Witcher. The Witcher. I mean, you are the only person including the people who all worked on and made The Witcher, who has that opinion, but sure. <laughs> None of those things are true. Um, now, look, before we get into what is certain to be a protracted and unruly scrum of shows we've all been watching over Christmas, we need to take a moment to talk about Dracula. Now, we raved about this show last year, before Christmas, uh, based on the two episodes we had been shown, and when, you know, two-thirds of a show are exceptional... What are the odds that part three will, say, go off the rails entirely and shit the proverbial bed? Uh, what are the odds of that, Terry? Uh, quite high in this circumstance. And I have to say, Boyd is already bristling next to me. I think I felt, I, I think, I think I felt an eye roll and a harumph um, during that monologue. I, I mean, I, compl- I hate to say I agree, um, but with you, James, but I agree with you, James, which is um, I loved the first two episodes so much. We talked um, a great deal about them on our review podcast, and I loved particularly the first episode, which is the only one I'd seen before we reviewed it, and then the second episode, which you guys talked about the different speed and the pacing and the tone and the tenor, and I think all of that was bang on. And I got quite excited at the end of the second episode where it was clear it was going to be in modern day. I was like, oh, this is like really novel and exciting and brilliant. And then the actual episode unraveled so spectacularly for me. Um, I mean, don't even get me started on the representation of millennials where it went a bit of Hollyoaks for 20 minutes. Yes, um, otherwise known as the OK Boomer section oh of the show. Oh my God. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm not saying the third episode was without merit, but it was so drastically for me fell off a cliff and I understand they're trying to do something different I understand all of that stuff but I was so thoroughly disappointed and I have to force myself to watch to the end um 
And I haven't been that disappointed in a single episode of something for quite some time. And I do think it's because the first, the quality of the first two was just, I mean, it was the best thing on over Christmas mm. by Country Mile. Um, but I, I do believe that Boyd may not agree with. No, I, do you know what? I, I, I just, my experience of watching, watching the third episode is this. So I, um, they sent me the third episode in advance. So I did watch it um, before it went out live on air so to speak not before we did our review so i was kind of in the middle so i watched it and i had this i had a similar reaction so my reaction to watching it was oh this isn't what i thought it was going to be it is and i and it has not lived up to the astonishingly brilliant first two so i absolutely had that experience of watching when i was watching the third one um and i was and my immediate thought was oh my god people are going to fucking hate this did you know? Did I you knew. Know? I was like bracing myself for the Twitter reaction. People are going to be like, because it's kind of happened a bit before with Sherlock. The mm. episodes of Sherlock mm. that people felt were terrible and, you know, and people love vented, quite rightly, vented their hatred of certain episodes of Sherlock. So there is something about what Moffat and Gators do, I think, which sometimes, and, and you know, and I completely respect the opinion. And, and I, I knew that it was going to be roundly abused, and it was. So I watched it again the second time as it went alive. And of course, I did enjoy it a lot more the second time. I think just because I was like, oh, actually, now I'm relaxed. Because it did, did put me on edge mm. how different and, and, um, I mean, it isn't. I didn't. I don't think. I think it's not as good as the first two. And the first two are two of my favourite things I've seen for a long time. So that's fine. But I didn't hate it, and I didn't. And, and on second view, I actually rather enjoyed it because I think because I was just a more relaxed state of mind. Like mm. I knew what to expect a bit more, and I just thought, oh, okay, it's not that bad. And I actually enjoyed it quite a lot. And I'll probably watch it again just for a third time and see. And see. So there's a lot to enjoy. I think. I think it's still a really brilliantly made, bold, interesting. I love the fact that each episode is a completely different tone and thing in its own right. Which I think was what they were going for. I totally understand why everyone felt really let down by it equally. So, yeah, that was my experience of it. I think if I just watched it cold, as it went out, I was being like, oh, okay, I probably just would have kept quiet and not. But, yeah, that was my experience. Yes, I struggled with it a lot. I mean, as in, I forced myself to make it through the end of the yeah. film. But I really, I wasn't enjoying it. I didn't want to watch it. I, I, just, I just, there was nothing about it enjoyed. And that's not to say that I think that they're, they're you know, you know they're geniuses. They're very very good at what they do. The first two episodes are uh, evidence of that. It just it it just went so far the other way, and I just couldn't understand why. Like I get totally what you're saying. They want to see something different, and I think the contemporary setting, you know, was an interesting place to end up. But it felt like that character who I'd loved in the first two was just irritating in this one and and that sort of like him bumping up against you know millennial life and whatnot was excruciating oh. and <laughs> the character of lucy oh. yeah so no i'm, oh, gonna, I'm just gonna she, say no they gave her no motivation no real backstory that complete nihilism and you know that whole kind of texture they were trying to give her which i don't think they pulled off i mean there was one when they kind of went straight for that millennial stuff and they were in the club and then in the what I presume was meant to be a limo at one point but I couldn't really tell um, that was so radically different from a production values perspective Mm. That actually, I, me, me and my boyfriend were convinced we were we'd accidentally sat on the remote and it turned <laughs> over, and we had to check we were still on the right channel because visually it looked so different and it looked so much cheaper and not like this incredible epic thing we'd been watching. And I know there were certain challenges with that in a contemporary piece versus a period piece, right? Because mm. there were certain kind of yeah. there's an ease around the way you build um, a historical world, but it was so radically different. And you know, Dolly Wells, who was 
hundred percent the first the best thing about the first two. There wasn't enough of her in there in episode three for me. Like, I don't care about Lucy. She was driving me mental, quite frankly. And like, and and the last kind of 10 to 15 minutes were much more interesting mm. and kind of quite out there. And I was quite into that. But yeah. I, I struggled like yeah, I like James. The, I like the I like actual the ending. ending. Yeah. Yeah. I, like the ending, I yeah. really struggled to make it through. And I only did because I'd loved the first two so much. And I'd also committed like what felt like hours of my life. And I was like, I can't. I can't jump at this point mm. and I do you know I think there was a sense of oh everybody on Twitter just jumping on it and I I, oh, no, I think it was an honest yeah I felt like it was expressed um, opinion because people wanted to like it yeah. I didn't get the sense there was any agenda there at all no no I, yeah I didn't mean there was an agenda I meant more that I think it's in the nature of what they do actually that they're going to provoke of what Gage and Moffat do. They, you know, there was a, it was a provocative mm. third act to the mm. to the story in a way. It was like I, I don't think I want. I bet they weren't surprised that a lot of people of didn't like not. it. Yeah, um, so that's kind of what I'm saying. But I think I think what I enjoyed more the second time was more that. The visual thing's interesting. I think it was trying to go for a kind of heightened, you know, very saturated colour, neon-y, all that stuff. I don't. Yeah, it was just completely different. I'm not necessarily saying it entirely pulled it off, but. I still think, and I, yeah, and I know what you mean about Lucy. It wasn't it, I thought she was great, at the, you know, in the part. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't brilliantly conceived. But I still was I was still there was still enough of um, of the of of Dolly Wells. There was still enough and interesting stuff. I thought it was still there was still really scary bits. So yeah, I liked I liked um, you know Mark Gatiss's cameo. I thought that was I wanted to see more of him actually in that role. I thought that was nice. So yeah, they were just things I liked. <laughs> Well, <laughs> which segues, I think, nicely into what we've been watching, I would say, this week, but really over the past several weeks. Now, this could take some time, so who wants to begin? I have a, a sizable list myself. I can only imagine yours is at least three sides of A4. Well, I'm sh- I know for a fact that you... You're going to talk about cats, aren't you? That silly cats thing. The thing on cats, the Netflix, the documentary about cats. Oh no, no, my no, God. I'm not. I'm going to leave... I'm gonna, no, I'm going to leave... Ter- I was going to say the thing that I'm... Be- I know you've been watching one of the things is The Masked Singer. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I don't James. understand. Who's the no, master? I'm joking. Oh, I was okay. like... <laughs> Hang on. I saw, I saw an advert for this on the tube, and it's someone in a unicorn costume yeah. holding a microphone. Yeah. Well, so somebody tweeted me. I was I stumbled upon this show, which is being it's advertised all over the tube, everywhere, and it's just like the mass singer and somebody in a giant, as you say, fluffy unicorn costume. Um, this passed me by completely. I came home one Saturday night, was flicking through the TV channels, and there was somebody dressed as some kind of giant emoji animal singing um, live while Davina McCall, um, Jonathan Ross. The dude from the Hangover the films. The dude from the Hangover films and bloody Rita Ora were like yeah. judging them for some reason. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and it was, I mean, so trippy. If I wasn't eight months pregnant, I'd have mm. thought I'd have ingested something because yeah. it was absolutely insane. And it is basically, they get a celebrity they get that celebrity to dress up as in a massive furry animal outfit and they sing live and you have to guess who's singing. That's yeah. it. The only reason I brought it up is because I had at least five or six different people tweeting me <laughs> saying, you must force James so Dye to I. watch this show. So did I. And I love the fact that now, for listeners of this podcast, any weird, <laughs> freaky, mainstream show like this, then people immediately think, what would James Dyer think? Yeah. Um, so, that's, so that's the thing. You have to watch it. I had, I had multiple yeah. tweets from people saying, you have to yeah. make James watch this and yeah. then talk about it. 
It's yeah, I, utterly... I didn't watch it, but the sound of it again makes me feel like the apocalypse is coming. Yeah, the interesting thing. So I almost did. There's a news story which which, which arrived this week um, about the American because it's been going in America for like three seasons now. The Masked Singer has it. Yeah, Ken Jong, who is the guy from the from the Hangover, who's one of the judges. He does the American version. I think he kind of exec produces it. But now they're already doing a sequel, The Masked Dancer, in America. And get this, The Masked Dancer, which they actually have commissioned, in which celebrities are going to be head to toe and just dance, doing dance routines was comes from a, a spoof sketch from Ellen DeGeneres on her show. She spoofed the Masked Singer by doing a Masked Dance and now they've actually turned into a thing and she's going to exec produce that spin-off series. But how do they dance in those ridiculous costumes? Well, I mean, I don't know how they sing question. in them because those... No. those... They have, they're mic'd up. Well, did you see the the, um, the, the reveal of... Um, Patsy Palmer? No, the politician, oh, uh, former no. Shadow Home Secretary. Um, this is the incredible thing that the people involved are ludic- bizarre, weird and bizarre. Um, Alan Johnson. Alan Johnson, former Shadow Home Secretary, was the second ejected masked singer. And he did a terrible version of some song. He was awful. And he, but he, the mere fact that he's taking part shows you how, how you're right. This is, this is the warning of the impending apocalypse because formerly quite respected politicians are taking part in this absolutely insane show. It feels like we're living in a Russell T. Davis show, is all I'm yeah. saying. Oh, yeah. 100%. Well, um, the best bit about it is, so it's, you know, you can guess the kind of celebrities that are going to be dressed in these well, things, Well, not Alan right? Johnson. But, but they're not exactly A-list celebs. Mm. But the best thing is that because the British public are fairly deranged, is on Twitter, everyone's going, it's Beyonce! <laughs> it's definitely yeah. Beyonce! It is not Beyonce in that animal costume, let me tell you. <laughs> it's Patsy Palmer or it's Fizz from Coronation Street, like, let's be honest. Although, in a America, they did get quite good people involved. And that's because that's America. Yeah, yeah in America. Yeah. Do you think we're going to get, like, uh, Beyonce? No. no. Okay, we're so... We're not getting Beyonce. So I, I have many things to talk about, but I'm just going to pick anyway, one. Oh, by the, the way, I haven't finished. Sorry, oh, that was sorry, just my Boyd. starting point. Sorry, that was my jo- jo- jokey starting point, purely because everyone keeps going on about you've got to talk to James about the Masked Singer. Okay. It's been the main demand from Alice yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I just want to quickly mention, because so, we didn't have a show last week, so we would have reviewed these shows. Sick of It, season two on Sky, which is all there now. Carl Pilkington's excellent, beautifully filmed uh, kind of wry comedy drama is really good um, there was the King Gary which is a which is an out and out sitcom which you're going to hate but fans of Gavin <laughs> and Stacey I think will really like it it's got a kind of Gavin and Stacey tone to it Tom Davis is in it he's kind of co-created it it's really funny it's really it's great it's about kind of um, uh, working class people in, in in middle class suburbia and it's very funny and interesting White House Farm which is a true crime drama that started on ITV this week which is brilliantly made about the Jeremy Bamber case which is fascinating case people like Mark Addy in it and um, Stephen Graham doing an incredibly bizarre Welsh accent hmm. I've heard about I haven't watched this yeah. but I've heard about the accent so he plays a real life detective who was called Taff because he was so Welsh and Stephen Graham who's absolutely 100% not Welsh goes for it with his accent that's all I'd say some people are saying it's terrible I'm quite in awe of the fact that he's just gone for it but it's a really good well made show of a really interesting story and finally Deadwater Fell which is the David Tennant um, crime thriller which started on Friday on Channel 4 and is really interesting is he or isn't he a wrong one type of mm. thing and that's really well made and really good. and he's brilliant in that so yeah. these are all shows that we missed because we weren't on okay I was going to bring up Deadwater Fell oh, later sorry. but fine you just jump the gun sorry. that's all good um, um, did you actually watch any Christmas telly though or did you just use the period as a reason to catch up on all of your weird shows? There are celebrations in The Witcher that could be considered festive. (laughs) Um, Did I watch anything Christmassy? Let me just look at my list of things that I watched over Christmas. I did watch something with Jesus in it. Does that count? 
Oh, Messiah. I did watch the first episode of Messiah, uh, which was Netflix's Messiah show. Uh, and this has got uh, this has got Bridget Moynihan. It's got loads of good people in it. I thought, and it's got high production values. It looks has like a homelandy vibe. It's political thriller. It's very exciting. Watch the first episode. It's like, oh, this is intriguing. See where this goes. I'll run this boy the next day. And boy's like, please, before you watch any more, research who made this show. And I was like, oh, that's where I look at it. And and it's evangelical television. Like, I had no mm. idea. Like mm. it's made by people who make evangelical TV. So this is this is spreading the good news. This series. I was like, ooh, shit. Yeah. So I haven't watched any more. It's interesting. I feel yeah. like that's kind of a spoiler. Um, so that's that's. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that to, mean to discount it entirely. No, but it is a well-made... But it's TV with a very specific yes. agenda. But also, like, yes. regardless of how yeah, you it's feel... Propaganda. That's called propaganda. Yeah. But regardless right. of how you feel on yeah. that, once you know that, you kind yeah. of automatically now know where this show is going. So I was like, okay, and I don't know that because I haven't seen it, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to watch another. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus raises, rises from the dead. It's a bit second coming-ish. Yeah, so imagine. Ish. Yeah. And I thought, you know, much as that may be some people's bag, it's probably not mine. And it's 10 hours. So I was like, no, I'm done. So I watched the first one and then stop but that's the closest I came to festive programming this year I didn't watch James. anything else that was festive but what I did watch which go on, is let's go. almost certainly what counts for Christmas around your gaff Terry is I started watching The Sinner which oh! I've never seen and I've what? been meaning to watch forever the first season first season is... the Jessica Biel season oh, and I was like this doesn't fuck about does it <laughs> like it's really full on and uh, and I, I mean it's twisted on a whole other level yeah. I mean it's the most you show I think I've ever encountered oh my and it gets I mean it goes to dark places you do not see coming well yes I've just got to the end of episode 3 which ends with a man wearing a balaclava and I was just like ooh oh you okay. haven't seen anything yet you, oh I'm sure you wait for the latter episodes you will not I'm not even going to hint at it yeah don't you will be very surprised at the narrative twists and turns okay well I mean it's it's bleaker than I would normally like in my mm. programming but uh, but it's compelling I, I want to see where this goes so that's uh, that's something I'm now you know in mid flow of yes yeah, it was fantastic yeah. she's amazing yeah. she's yeah. amazing mm. she's isn't very it? Good. Yeah. very good I love that murder scene that yes. oh my, on the beach it's yeah. so I had brilliantly to stop done. it immediately rewind it and watch yeah. it again yeah. because I, I was like yeah, I fantastic. don't know what I just witnessed brilliantly done it's just I mean mm. <laughs> horrific on yeah. every level uh, so, so I, I'm watching the cinema at the moment I finished watching The Rook over Christmas oh, which yeah. I went down a bit of a Rook rabbit hole because I became slightly obsessed with this show like the world of it I thought it was fantastic I see that look that you're giving me now <laughs> the oh god here we go again <laughs> now I maybe missold this slightly last time when I said to you they investigate super supernatural stuff I don't mean like the X-Files I mean they're like a government agency but everyone in it is recruited because they have special powers so it's a bit like you like know, psychic powers kind of thing So they, but, but they have strange like, abilities That's why they, but it's not about ghosts or vampires and stuff interestingly so it's based on a series of books there's two of them and the books are about like vampires and ghosts and weird monsters and stuff and I think they're quite camp and this they've taken a deliberate and Stephanie Meyer I think was involved in and then bought because of creative differences but they've taken a very different tack on this they've made it quite almost like spooks but with psychic abilities so it's quite melodramatic but serious and I think that's a really interesting change because I was like oh I must read the books and then when I realised the books were very different I thought well I'm sure they're good but these are not for me really 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 love the series unfortunately my worry is because stars I don't think maybe I'm not saying they didn't necessarily promote it although the UK arm didn't seem to know it was on um, but I don't think it's going to get a second season. They haven't cancelled it. They haven't announced a second one, but not many people watched it. And mm. I worry for that because I thought it was really fucking good. And it had so many good people in it. So, yeah, that was that was one of the high points of my festive viewing. 
Did you watch any festive uh, TV, Terry White? I watched uh, Gavin and Stacey again, oh, yeah, going same, out live. Which you, is now, you and everyone else in uh, the world. Those numbers. So, officially the most watched show of the decade. That's yeah. insane. 17.7 million people. Uh, and, and I loved the feeling of, when was the last time you remember having that feeling of coming together as a country to all watch the same thing on Christmas Day? I don't yeah. believe that's ever um, happened. It was lovely. It yeah. was very lovely. And the, don't even get me started on the Gogglebox specials, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Like, can I just the, yeah. the Jane McDonald moment, which I keep, which I basically spent all week on WhatsApp talking to people about. Jane McDonald did a special version. James is literally like those people, not including blankets. James. So they did. I do not know the names of these people. I do not know who you're talking about. Jane McDonald did some kind of festive special cruise ship thing, and she sang "Ray of Light" by Madonna, and the the Gogglebox reactions to that were in. Impeccable. And there was a kids one and there was an end of the eight was... Do you know what Gogglebox is, James? That. I, I've heard of it. I don't know what it is. Okay. Oh, dear. Yeah. It's again, it's, 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 it's one, that's one of the horsemen, isn't it? You know, in, in my uh-huh. personal TV Jane McDonald, Jane McDonald might be another one of the horsemen. Yeah. Maybe she could be one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Horsewomen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Doctor Who. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So that was obviously on straight after Dracula. What a yeah. night of telly. It, I two episodes so far. I just think it's been yeah, loving it. Incredible! Yeah, what an, what an opener that first episode was. Yeah. Oh. Sasha Dewan as that character. As that character, in case, anyone, saw say, in case you haven't seen <laughs> because it, because you haven't seen it. I mean, yeah, brilliant oh casting, my God. phenomenal, yeah. genius, yeah. genius, yeah. genius, Loved genius. It. Loved it. Another thing I watched, and I had this. We talked about this before when we reviewed you season two, and Boyd and I were both a bit. Mm, I'm not sure we'll press on with it. And I said I'd watch one more, and I ended up watching the entire second season in about two days. Yeah, I did the same. Actually. Like yeah, it's about that. so yeah. much better than season one. Like so much better. It's got great, great twists. Yeah, it's great yeah. twists. I think what they've also done is by making it less focused on that kind of influencer early 20 something Gen Z set it broadens it out to a wider audience and they let go of the kind of slightly sinister creepy stalker thing and they embrace it as like the lovable sociopath Dexter style show so it's a slightly different vibe and I think you know the first season where everyone he's around is a bell end so it doesn't matter that he's a psycho in this one the people around him are more likable to an extent but he's much more likable. Like even when he's like murdering people and stuff, you're rooting for him all the way through, and it's loads and loads and loads of fun. And again, this is another one which has twists and turns and all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, yeah, you season two. I, it's nothing like season one, and it's not the retread I feared it would be. So it's a bit like season one. It's not completely. No, I disagree. Different. I think I think it like they shook the formula up enough. That no, it didn't I know. Feel I agree. Familiar at all. Okay. Whereas I went into season two thinking, oh god, I don't think I've got another ten hours of this in mm. me. And I was like, oh, this is like it feels like a fresh new show. It's kind of reinvented itself a bit. So, so that was that was loads of fun. Also, and this uh, kind of tees us up to as we enter into <laughs> the gravitational pull of Star Trek Picard, for it is oh. nearly upon us. I went back and I watched the Best of Both Worlds, the Star Trek: The Next Generation episode with the Borg, the key Borg episode, and then I watched the follow-up one, Family, where. Picard goes back to Le Bar, France to visit the vineyard where his brother lives, which of course is where he ends up and where we find him at the beginning of Picard. So I've done my my background reading to get me into the right headspace. So um, why don't you 
recommend an episode. If I watch a single episode before we review Picard next week. Of Star Trek Generation? Yes. Oh, yes. Can you recommend, and don't do your thing of making me watch the like most. (laughs) The wrong one. The wrong one just to fuck with me and to see my reaction. Do one that will help me from a contextual perspective understand. Oh, God. This is really difficult because I initially want to give you the best of both worlds. But A, that's a two-parter on a film. Maybe that's a bit unfair. Um, And also, I'm just not sure, like, if you're going, oh, is there something that encapsulates everything? Someone like Darmok would be great, but I think that would be just like... Darmok is a Star Trek equivalent of Crackers Don't Matter, where you'd watch that and be like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Uh, So I can't give you that. Yesterday's Enterprise might work. I don't think it has to do everything. I think it's something that will help me jump off into Picard. Okay, okay. I will do that. I will pick one for you. I'm not going to commit to it now on air because this is something I need to put some proper thought into. Of course, I expect a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll get some. I might even give Google you options. Google Doc. Uh, okay, yes. This sounds like We an should say, moment. by the way, that unfortunately we have to wait until the day before um, Picard uh, goes out. Yeah, this to is review upsetting. it. There's an embar- review embargo until um, the day. So we would airs, be reviewing basically. it next week, yeah. but we can't. We're yeah. going to actually have to review it the week after yeah. oh. which is yeah, it's annoying yeah so apologies to everyone about that or you know you dodged a bullet whichever you want to see it <laughs> um, just before we before I particularly wrap up mine I need to ask you did you watch the uh, Derry Girls Bake Off which I did not see yes I did not see but I want to hear about it it was I'm not going to tell you who won but uh, it wasn't maybe what you thought did any of them say Fleur Fleur <laughs> <laughs> Not that I remember, but they were. It was brilliant, and it was so entertaining. And they were all just like bang on. And Nick, I've, I remain in love with Nicola. Mm, and they, I mean, it was just everything you want over Christmas. Okay. I can't believe you didn't watch it. As I was watching it, as it was going out, I was like, oh, James is going to be sat in some big house somewhere watching this. No, <laughs> some big house. <laughs> some big house somewhere. <laughs> what, like, like I go on holiday at Christmas to Downton Abbey to watch telly. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, no, I didn't see it. I wouldn't even know when it was on. It was utterly but, um, charming. Utterly charming. Utterly pure. So did you refuse to watch it because you won't watch Bake Off? No, I, 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 I didn't even know what it's on. I don't even know what channel it's on. Like, I just don't, I don't, you have to understand that I don't, these these shows are outside my orbit to if such only, an extent. If only you were, you were like some kind of journalist <laughs> yeah. who could find out what time and what channel shows were on at. You, you, Imagine. I mean, they were, they were just, or just, not even a journalist, somebody who has Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a fair point. Um, there, there, are, there are, so the other thing that I started watching is I have, I have, like, so I've met for this podcast. Jack. No, that, no, I, I watched a lot of stuff. I need to get Jesus this on my chest. Christ. So I had talked a long way that I have been doing a rewatch of Battlestar Galactica along to the Battlestar Galacticast. Do you remember this? And the Battlestar Galacticast, as I've said numerous times, isn't very good. So I haven't really been A, listening to it or B, watching the show. So over the Christmas period, I made a an astonishing discovery, and that's that while the Battlestar Galacticast may not be what I want it to be, Ron Moore did a Battlestar Galactica podcast while it was on, essentially episode by episode going through all this stuff. But I didn't know about this because Sci-Fi Channel took it away. They pulled it. It's gone. It's no longer on iTunes. It's no longer on you know the podcast apps. So you can't listen to it. But if you Google around, it's on the internet somewhere. So I found this Ron Moore podcast. You Oh, no, no, it's just, just out there. Like, it's a podcast. Yeah. They just put it out okay. there. So it's not like... I didn't pirate it. <laughs> yeah. It's just out there. You just Google it. I think it's, it might even be on SoundCloud. You know, like, it's out there. And uh, and so I've been... Because it's, it's, it's Ron Moore. It's really, really good. So now I am binging Battlestar Galactica with a vengeance. So my Game of Thrones rewatch has been slightly put on hold while I finish Battlestar Galactica, which I am enjoying more than I can possibly tell you while also listening to Ron Moore talk about it. So that's... You are thing. living your best yeah. life. I am. Yeah. I like to think I'm a role model. 
uh, and that's it. And, and we, uh, I, we probably don't have time to get into the Buffy HD debacle, which is something I wanted to talk to you about as well. What Buffy um, HD? Well, debacle? so I, I wasn't about to do a Buffy rewatch, but theoretically, had I been considering one, I was like, oh well, I've got a DVD box set. Is it available? on Blu-ray. Oh, so look for it. So when I had a look around Buffy HD at Google there, and then I went down this rabbit hole of the controversy surrounding Buffy's HD incarnation, which is that Joss Whedon obviously shot it in 4.3. It's not supposed to be in widescreen. He doesn't want it in widescreen. But obviously networks don't care. They've done it anyway. And they've just chopped the top and bottom off sometimes presumably using some kind of AI, so they've not even done it manually, so sometimes it cuts through the middle of someone's face while it does it. They haven't colour graded it at all, so while the 4.3 version is properly graded, you look at them side by side, it looks like a different show, especially because a lot of the night sequences in Buffy were shot during the day and then graded, so it just looks like they're wandering around in the day, and it is a shit show of biblical proportions and the internet as you might imagine has been on fire about this since it happened some years ago well that texture it has also doesn't mm. lend itself to HD at all all of that is gone so it's it's in HD it's, well, it's a debacle and Joss Whedon has, has obviously completely disavowed it but, that happens uh, quite a lot with um with shows from like you know yeah 80s and 90s that, w- mm. that were shot in 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 a in a four three four man they try mm. and they try and um, well because they've done it with the for... wire but David Simon was involved yeah with but that. They have, I think they did it, they did it with things like Seinfeld they, they do it where it looks you know and, oh. and they just kind of yeah butchered it and just to make make it fit the frame yeah frame. it's ridiculous awful absolutely awful ridiculous. thing can I mention one other since you mentioned a podcast you know you know the um, official Watchmen podcast is absolutely incredible have you Is heard it? that yeah no I'm not it's hosted that. by Craig Mazin who um, wrote um, Chernobyl mm. and um, he wrote what Chernobyl <laughs> and uh, you know I like to quote Chernobyl <laughs> and uh, Damon Lindelof and him chatting to Damon Lindelof through all of the episodes bit by bit storyline by mm. storyline character it's absolutely brilliant that is there awesome that is awesome there is something deeply deeply satisfying it has to be said about l- podcasts that do that that yes. get really into the weeds on specific shows like that yeah. uh, I love them to bits West Wing Weekly is drawing to a close there's only I think three episodes of that left before it's finished what will I do what I presume you could be a guest on the finale, right? You have to be like, as the world's foremost West Wing. Well, obsessive. hang on. Uh, isn't he doing a theatre production in London? Oh, yeah. Well, Aaron, yes, to kill a mockingbird. Yeah, to kill a mockingbird. I presume. To kill a mockingbird. To kill a mockingbird. Oh, that's an intro I need to, uh, I need to <laughs> note down. next week for you. To kill a mockingbird. <laughs> yes. Very good. Uh, yes, he is doing that, and no, I don't have tickets for it, but I probably should get some. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That would be good. Right. Okay. So anyway. Has anyone watched anything else, or is that pretty no, much covered come the whole on. Christmas? I've loads of stuff, but yeah. don't give the fuck at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Whoever's still listening to yeah. this is like, oh, my God. I mean, look, we gave him a week off, so I think they, you know, they should have built up some kind of tolerance at this point. I think that gives us time for news. What has been happening in the world of news, Terry and Orboy? I want to. Sh- I'm, I'm upset about something. Oh, you shocked me. I'm upset about Parasite. Um, oh yeah. What? Yes. Why? What? what Why? The WTF? So is going on. There was a bidding war between Netflix and HBO for the rights to be able to make a limited series. It's not a done deal at all. Um, HBO just outbid Netflix. Talks are underway, basically, and it would be Bong, who's obviously um, June Ho, who is the director of the amazing film, the greatest film you'll probably see this year, and it's only January. Um, He's teaming up with Adam McKay, who obviously has great success with HBO shows. But I just... The question is why, right? Because, A, it's an English-language version. The brilliant, beautiful thing about Parasite is that it is not English-language. It is also the perfectly constructed film. And I also just think... Are we really in this position where every single time there's an interesting or or 
commercially and critically successful film, which it is by the by the kind of terms with which these films are judged. Do we have to then go, oh, we need a 10-part TV series? I don't need a 10-part TV series. I just need the film that I've watched and enjoyed greatly a couple of times already. All I'd say is I had the same reaction, but I'm relieved in one way. I'd rather have this, and who knows what the fuck it's going to be. So, you know, if it, it, Variety says um, it's not clear yet whether the series will be a direct English-language remake of the film or some kind of spin-off, but it could be anything. But it will be English-language. It will be English-language, yeah. of course, yeah. So I You think, can't call it Parasite and not make it in some way related to the film. It has to be related, sure. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, who knows how it will be related? Who knows? It, I'd rather this than a, than a straight film English-language remake. Do you know what oh I mean? Oh, my God, yeah. Right. That, I mean, that would be rank. Right, that would be rank. And that's what... <laughs> would have been on the cards you know I mean that's what's happened to, to similar properties before you, mm. even no matter how fucking popular a foreign language film is and how brilliant you still end up having mm. an inevitably inferior what Spike Lee did uh, an incredibly misguided version of that film that was really good I can't remember the name of anyway <laughs> um, so I'm kind of almost relieved that at least this feels it's not that and who knows what it's going to be is my only but yeah I mean I had to it's, it's, it's weird it's weird it's just, a, it's just a downer because I think you know I think the the cinema exists for a reason TV exists for a reason there's great interconnection between the two but there are also things that are cinematic properties and there are also things that are TV properties and I think there's an instinct, you know, with the business side of it to go, this has been a massive success. You know, it's probably um, going to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah. It's it's made a surprising amount of money for the film that it is. It's had raves from pretty much critics across the world. And I, I just think at, at times like that, it would be great if we didn't automatically then think, how can we rinse a bit more out of this? And I mean, obviously, it's great that Bong is, is involved himself and he would mm. exec produce this um, because Snowpiercer, which he wasn't involved in and H, was obviously a HBO and is kind of still whirling along, but nothing really happening with it. Um, so I... I just no, just leave it as a, <laughs> it's no. a fucking. It's an amazing film. Mm. It is a five star, bang on, incredible film. I can't remember if it's Belgrade, but fuck it. Um, no, it can't be. It can't be now. <laughs> no, but just in UK, but they can't in <sighs> Belgrade reaction. Yeah. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. no, yeah. no. Um, old boy is what I was thinking of the Spike Lee film. Spike um, Lee remade Old Boy, not very particularly interestingly or well, which was a classic. You know, it was a brilliant one off mm. Maverick film. Mm. I, I mean, I, would I love to see a Bong and Adam McKay original show, yeah, idea yeah, show? Yeah, that yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. I would be bang up for that. Mm. But I don't need mm. a 10-part splicing of a something no. related to Parasite. Thank Fair you. Yeah. Thank you, the end. Speaking of 10-part things, uh, American Horror Story has been renewed for seasons <laughs> 11, 12 and 13. Yeah. So, you know, counting on from 10, a bit of an arithmetic bridge for you there. I, I saw that. Um, I mean, uh, this is... In, as inevitable as it is welcome, surely? Yeah, I mean, the last one... Do you know what? I haven't even finished watching the last one, which I really enjoyed to start with, so I'm about halfway through, and this reminded me that I haven't finished watching the last one yet. I hope it's all still on um, Skybox sets or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm in favour of it, but it is... Getting, I mean, he's going to be milking this this idea, isn't he? But yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Did you finish watching the last series? No, no, no I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. But then I didn't finish watching any of the other seasons either. <laughs> So, you know, at least I'm consistent. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch 30-something? Of course. Yeah, so that's coming back. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited about this. I love 30-something. Isn't this yeah. just it was a massive formative programme in my... Reheated show. 50-something. Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> what well, it, yeah. presumably it's going to have to be, right? Yeah. 
I think it's new 30-something people who are related to the original 30-something people. Be 60-something, surely. Hasn't it been 30 years since it went off the oh, air? God. Basically, that American show that plays around with time, you know, the, the, the drama. Doctor so, Who? No, no, no. The, Which isn't American. What's it called? You know... Um, the Affair. No, it's been a big hit. Mainstream American show. Oh, God, I wish I could remember this. Anyway, it's, uh, it, it, that has been the new 30-something. If I could remember the name of it, that would help. <laughs> None of that sentence She could just cut this sense. bit out. Okay, okay. Anyway, there have been attempts no. to do very similar shows as 30-something. Let's just say that. In, so I'm pleased to get the original. What, what, how does it play around with time? Assume, for the sake of argument, that I've never seen it. Oh, no, 30-something itself didn't, but the... the <laughs> Forget it. What's I am really confused oh, about what is What's that show? What's thing you're talking That's about? That's like driving oh. me mental. Anyway, I'm, it, it, I love to tell you something. It was, yeah, it was It was kind of, it was a glossy, you know, kind of, I mean, a bit much to call it cinematic, but it tried to ha- be in production terms. It kind of made that kind of brickwork ad agency kind of vibe thing feel really, you know, cool and, and trendy. And it, it was the kind of this life a bit as well of its time in America, I think. Okay. I associate both. The show's exciting, yeah. Uh, Last of the Mohicans is coming to HBO Max. Uh, Carrie Fukunaga's doing a, an, a sort of series adaptation of that story, which is, on the one hand, totally good, but on the other hand, it, following on from the Michael Mann film, which I think is amazing, yeah. uh, I don't... I, I, I pity anyone trying to go up against that, to be honest. Here's a hot fact, though, for oh, you. <laughs> and I know whenever I say here's a fo- hot fact, Terry immediately just checks out. But there are three versions, more or less, of Last of the Mohicans. And for a while, you could only get the shit one. Because he did a theatrical version, Michael Mann did, which was kind of rushed at the studio behest. And he was unhappy. And then for uh, when it was released on, I want to say HD, but it might not be, he recut it and he changed it. And he put in this really awful monologue at the end uh, where Chingachgook does this terrible, terrible spoon-feeding you the plot and the theme stuff thing. And then he went back and redid it, and now there's a final definitive edition, although I say now, it's been around for a while. So you, and, but they're not particularly well-labeled, so you often don't know which one you've got. And I went home, and I've got the shit one. I was really disappointed. I mean, would we call that hot? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's a fact. When I said hot fat, what I meant yeah. is, here's a kind of tedious bit of information, yeah, I love that. which that's I good. will... Make yeah. about myself. Yeah. I suppose that's that's um, really what I'm I was just, and I doing. my brain explodes. This is us is the show I was thinking of. You know, this is us. Yes, that is not that is it. the modern thirty something. This is us, which is the show Dan Fogelman's thing on NBC. It's been it's on it was on E4 Channel Four here. You are Still unfortunately going. now referring to a part of the yeah. podcast that we've. Cut I know, out. but I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just telling you because you, you yeah. right. I was wondering, okay. but no, it doesn't okay. help. Um, Sky Comedy is launching on January 27th. Yes. Ironically, they invited me to the launch. I went, are they trolling me? Like, is yes. this a joke? But you should be more excited about this than you think you are. Really? Because it's going to be, it's the home of, it's not just like terrible sitcoms that you're never going to watch in a million years. It's the home of great American comedy from now on. It's going to, so the new series of Curb Your Enthusiasm starts on January 29th. Mm-hmm. A couple My of enthusiasm is curbed. There you go. Um, uh, it's going to have Jimmy, I mean, this isn't going to be necessary for you, but for normal people, Jim, we're going to be able to watch Jimmy Fallon's show, um, James Corden's show, Saturday Night Live. We're going to be able to watch for the first that's time. Amazing. Yeah, every week. No more YouTube. No more YouTube every week. And from the start, every episode of Parks and Rec, Veep, Girls, and Sex in the City are all going to be available to watch on the, mm. on the channel. So there you go. It's good stuff. Yes. So basically, any major new HBO comedy or Showtime comedy will be on the Sky Comedy Channel from now on. So these are presumably shows that were on in the main on other channels. So Sky Atlantic, yeah, and then Sky they're, Atlantic and they're gathering, and yeah, they're they're gathering, gathering them all together. together. On Sky comedy, yeah. Do you think they're trying to um, remind people that they still have a number of comedy shows? Obviously, mm. they're going to be hit by. 
the BBC taking shows off right and mm. what have you with BritBox and yeah, all bit, of yeah. that. I think so, yeah. And I think just, you know, I think it makes sense to have... I think, you know, there's certain shows like Satellite Life, for example, that get talked about so much and it has been ridiculous. There hasn't been anywhere to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. Also happened this week, the Golden Globes happened. Did anyone watch <laughs> yes, the I show? Watched it. Yeah. Did you enjoy Ricky's uh, I did, very hosting. much. Yes. Um, it would, I'll tell you what about the thing about the Golden Globes, everyone knows they're ridiculous. They're voted for by about 90 ludicrous people, yeah. <laughs> foreign journalists living in LA, who, by the way, get wined and dined and given free shit. Um, but the TV winners, I mean, there's a lot, you know, you can be, the TV winners are actually pretty damn good, generally. Um, succession, mm. brilliant to see Succession win. Brian Cox, guest on last podcast, won, because we interviewed him the day yes, after he'd been nominated. He talked quite a lot about, did you leave that in the interview? <laughs> We talked about what it's like to be nominated for an award. He's kind of mixed feelings about um, it. Possibly. Yeah, anyway. Um, so I was really pleased for him and he was great. So, um, yeah, I think the TV winners generally were pretty good, I have to say. Okay. Film winners, good. who knows? Who knows? That's for another podcast, isn't yeah. it, Boyd? Yeah, exactly. Any... Well, I just want to talk about this Kevin Feige story. Yeah, that which surprised is about me. The ABC mm. potential show. So, obviously, the whole position around Disney Plus has been from now on, kind of anything within the Disney universe. Obviously, that includes mainly Marvel. Um, would go on Disney Plus, and that's the point of Disney Plus existing, right? So. Um, and then somebody at ABC, I believe it is, said that they were in conversations with Kevin Feige about him creating a show with them, Indeed. a network show, mm. which just baffles me because I, I presume, honestly thought that they would have no strategy around American network TV or any other platform, given that Disney Plus is kind of at the at the centre of their connected universe going forward, including what's going to be happening in cinemas. Um, they've obviously put a fuck ton of money into Disney Plus. It's a massive thing for them. So I don't really understand why then they would be looking at doing an ABC show at the same time. It doesn't make any sense to me. I agree entirely. I don't know quite what's going on. But then this maybe speaks to a sort of like a two-track production process where you'll have stuff on Disney Plus which directly ties into the cinematic universe and then maybe you will have extended stuff that doesn't. But well, why then it wouldn't seems you like put that on Disney Plus? Well, yeah, I know. And you've retired, like, they've retired the stuff that's on Netflix and wherever else. So, it, yeah, it's it's odd. I'm not quite sure. But then until they announce the characters and what it is, mm. it's going to be hard to say, unless it is something that's so, you know, fringe Marvel that it doesn't fit within the MCU that they think maybe almost as like a separate imprint. This is where we put like the crazy out there stuff mm. on. But then that doesn't feel very ABC either. So who knows? Who knows? What is the master plan? No idea. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Good. I'm glad we've been able to shed light on that particular <laughs> subject. Um, shall we move on to reviews? God, yes. yes. Let's move on to reviews. We've exhausted everything that's interesting in news and many things that aren't. So, <laughs> first up this week is the magnificent sex education, which uh, charmed off. Spoiler! Up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's magnificent. I would say the review section shouldn't open with an, such a strong adjective. St yeah, a statement of fact yes. right. from the person who's meant to then throw Allow it Allow me to try and be more impartial. First up this week is a shoe in for the top 20 shows of 2020. It's Sex Education, <laughs> which charmed our pants off last year. And my only outstanding regret, really, of 20, the end of 2019 was not including this in our top 
shows of 2019 because it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, but season two here picks up with Asa Butterfield's Otis as he returns to school to pick up the pieces of his friendship with Emma Mackey's Maeve and maybe, just maybe, well, obviously, as it's the premise of the show, uh, restart their underground sex advice clinic. Now, Terry, this is a show that begins with a three-minute masturbation montage set to a version of the Divinals I Touch Myself. It's not on the nose at all. I mean, literally, because that's not how you do it. But did this hit the spot for you, innuendo only marginally intended? I fucking love this. Um, that opening, as you say, three-minute montage... Um, that um, the director Ben Taylor, who we um, interviewed for the next issue of Pilot, called a triumphant wanking montage, which I think is hard to disagree with. While a choral version of "I Touch Myself" by the Divinals plays in the background, is it was just brilliant, um, and it kind of set the tone really for what you're going to get for the rest of the episode. Um, the essential kind of big storyline in this episode is that there's been an outbreak of chlamydia at school, which is hilarious because everyone's wearing masks because nobody knows how you catch it <laughs> including the teachers there's a brilliant bit where somebody gets up on stage and they're also wearing a mask um but all the things that you loved about the first episode and it's in um, first season it's funny because i think the reason we didn't put it in our end of year list is i'd almost forgotten how good it was because it came so long ago so yeah. early in yeah. the year and when i watched the second episode i was like fuck i yeah. forgot how brilliant this is because it is bold and so funny. I mean, people talk about stuff being funny. It is laugh out loud, properly, multiple times funny. The writing, Laurie Nunn, the creator, I think, has clearly built the most fantastic writer's room because every bit of dialogue is absolutely bang on. There's a scene in a... There's just this stupid scene in the bathroom where they go in to have a conversation and someone comes out and they and he goes, wash your hands, pig. And he goes, I didn't do a poo. <laughs> I was crying. And it, I was honestly on the couch in absolute fucking stitches. The set designs is good. That kind of quasi-American, highly stylized. There's a pretzel. I mean, the pretzel stand is so intricately constructed it's like it's so beautiful um and i found it just as touching just as kind of emotional um mmk and i think mave is my favorite character ever um there's a scene in a car with some spunk which is brilliant it's just it barreled along at such a rate and i would if it wasn't like i had a life i would have sat and watched every single episode I could get my hands on. Well, Boyd and I, I'm pretty certain, did watch every single episode of this. Yeah. Uh, Boyd, what did you reckon? Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I think um, every episode opens with a sex scene, mm. um, which is a brilliant um, format because I think it kind of um, it disarms you. So you're like, well, we're going to show you the most you know, within the realms of comedy and what you can show on television, explicit sexing, but they're all very upfront. They deal with, you know, issues of the sex act that I don't feel many other shows have the dealt with. The, the sex, sex the act of the sex. Which, which, which sex act is that, boy? General <laughs> acts of sex. Um, There's a bit involving uh, an orange, which I think go. will go yeah. down in history. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it kind of disarms you. And, and the, the frankness and the honesty of it is just brilliant but as you said i think it gets away with an extraordinary amount of 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 disarmingly upfront and honest stuff about sex because it's so funny as you mm. say because it's so and the confidence of it is unbelievable mm. it's like we are going to address head on and i think in a way i mean 
I think I probably said this about the first series, but I can't see, you know, a British mainstream channel being able to do it quite like this. No. So there is an advantage of being on Netflix where they will let you do whatever the fuck you want to do. It's not it's not every show that gets to do a pictorial diagrammatic explanation yeah. of anal douching on a blackboard. <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> well, example. This, this would have um, been like E4. Yeah. On a, right, E4 yeah. with a smaller budget and done in yeah. quite a not as good way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I think I think all of that... And, and, and yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, a couple of years ago... I think I would have probably would have thought that for a comedy because it is it is I think I feel it's an out and out comedy even though the episodes are like mm. 45 50 minutes yeah, long mostly yeah. aren't they um, almost it'd be weird to have a comedy so beautiful because the the school let's face it the, the setting the school setting is like a fantasy of what <laughs> mm. a yeah. school is especially in this country <laughs> the their house the home the, the Gillian Anderson's home it's this like it's like yeah. something out of a Norwegian fjord yeah. it is you know yeah. it's not a, you know it's a, a fantasy world but it somehow works because I think everything because by heightening everything in this way it actually makes the points it's making work better and I think like a show like this could easily I'm going to use that terrible word that I hate people for using in a negative way woke mm-hmm. this is actually one of the most woke shows that has ever been in history in terms of diversity and representation and, and the issues it deals with but it deals with them in such a brilliantly funny witty way that it never feels woke well, it's or organic earnest. it doesn't feel yeah. like it has an agenda yeah. it's entirely I mean it does have an agenda but it doesn't feel it. that way. No, no, no. So, like, there's one episode, for example, where all the women, all the female students, kind of come together at detention, um, which I felt like as it was going on, I was like, I'll see what's happening here. And I thought, oh, this could be cheesy and annoying. But actually, it was absolutely yeah. brilliantly, brilliantly done. And that's based on a, well, without getting into the details of that episode, that comes from the, the creators. Of the- uh, an instant from her right, own life. Right. Mm. Um, so I just think every it's, it is in the writing, the the performances, the the casting is so brilliant. Um, the analysis, Asa Butterfield. Mm. I mean, I think I I actually this is a slight improvement on series one because I think maybe if, if I was really looking for a weak link, I might say that Asa Butterfield's lead character in series one wasn't quite as interesting as all the other characters, and I think in a way he was like the slight everyman figure at the middle of it, and not enough. But I think in the second season they actually make him much more interesting. I think he was in the first, and his um, best friend Eric played by Shuti Gutwa who is absolutely phenomenal mm. and again in this time has a brilliant storyline um, he's the upfront out gay character and he and, there, and there's a I'm not going to spoil it but that he gets a love interest and another love interest and the way that's dealt with is mm. just fucking brilliant as well it's nice seeing him getting more screen time this yeah. season as well and gets his, his mm. storyline is particularly juicy and well done I think yeah I agree with you I think this is it's just it's sumptuously shot. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. The performances are great. Asa Butterfield gives one of my favourite drunk performances I think I've ever seen. Right, that scene is brilliant. Uh, I may have been hiding under the couch during it, but it was spectacular. And like everyone in it is so good. The, if I had one criticism of this, is that there are a few incidences of a particular dramatic device that I find maddening, which is characters doing stupid fucking things, like stupid misunderstandings, like stupid misunderstandings that lead to characters falling out or arguing you know like oh I didn't get your message or oh I didn't do this and I misunderstood and saw that and then no one explained it to me it's characters doing stupid things and that annoys me it only happens a couple of times but it's just something I'm sensitive to it's almost impossible to do a comedy, isn't it? With yeah. Comedies are all based yeah. around that very thing. Yeah. Like, it's a staple of comedy, which may speak to why I don't <laughs> right. enjoy comedy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I like this. It made me laugh. I thought it was incredibly touching. It's really well written. This is one of those shows, and I think, uh, especially on binge-worthy shows, like, a sign of a truly great show is when it finishes and you feel absolutely bereft. Like, I cannot 
conceive of having to wait 12 months to watch more of this. Whereas something like you, which I enjoyed enormously, when it was finished, I was like, great, brilliant, it's finished. I really enjoyed that, but it's done. With this, I was like, please give me another 50 episodes and give them to me now. Um, and oh, sadly, well, they, I say they bring some really good new characters in as well. It's they like, do. They're incorporated r- brilliantly, yeah. you know, because it's quite a big ensemble anyway. And then they still bring in like three or four really, really good new characters who are instantly like three-dimensional and believable. Mm. And Tanya Reynolds' character, Lily, gets more to do this time as round as well. Yep. She was really fun in season yep. one, and she's, she's more fun here now. Uh, so, yeah, this is great. Sex Education, which comes to Netflix on Friday, January the 17th. Watch it. There is no excuse. Next up this week, we have an HBO miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's novel, The Outsider. This one is adapted by Richard Price, who was responsible for The Night Of, among other things. Also worked on The Wire. Uh, And it stars Ben Mendelsohn as a small-town detective investigating the horrific mutilation of a young boy and what appears to be a slam-dunk case against Jason Bateman's high school baseball coach. Except, despite overwhelming evidence, Bateman has a watertight alibi, so something is afoot. And it's a Stephen King book. And that's probably all you need to know. Uh, Bateman also directing here, which is quite interesting, uh, which is presumably how he managed to pull off a crime. (laughs) (laughs) Boyd, Boyd, thoughts Um, inside or outside on this one? Oh, very good. Um, My first thought was, um, fucking hell, Jason Bateman is a really good director. Mm. I think he's done a brilliant job. He's directed the first two episodes. And honestly, they're like one of the best Stephen King adaptations I've ever seen. Immediately. Certainly feel higher quality than a lot of, and I think mm. what they've done is there's a lot of people have worked on this show worked on The Night Of and The Night Of is one of I think oh, it's one of the best dramas of the decade it Without would be way up there in my list one, two or three in my list of best dramas of the decade and it's got the same kind of feel so that which is a non-entirely realist um, uh, crime drama looking at the criminal justice system in America as much as anything but it's also who done it as well and that was the brilliant thing about it was it functioned as a brilliant th- did he or didn't he thriller and if he didn't then who did and yet it was also kind of taking a, a forensic knife to the horrors of the American criminal justice system. Yeah. This one has a similar realist tone, but obviously it's going to be a fucking Stephen King's, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, supernatural thing. But it's holding you off. It's really like, it's keeping the supernatural moment really, really at bay. It's, like, it's almost like I can almost feel it going, well, yeah. at some point we've got to address the fact that this is going to be an out-and-out Stephen King horror thing. But for the time being, um, it's just a brutally um, convincing, brilliantly handled, quite distressing in many different ways. I mean, Mm. there's a scene in episode... There's a shooting scene which is absolutely horrifically done. We're talking about... um, What were we talking about? A a death scene... um, Earlier, when we were talking about something that was that was legendarily good, <laughs> do you remember you brought you it up? I've got a meal. I've got a terrible cold. <laughs> anyway, there's a brilliantly handled shooting scene that is astonishingly well done. Um, and I just think there's some, getting Richard Price to adapt it. It's got all these, and the, later on, some of the people have worked on the rest of the series who also worked on the night of another. You know, it's got that. It's, we're going to take this story and we're going to give it absolute Rolls Royce drama treatment. Mm. I think so far it's paying off really well. It's interesting how how the reactions to this. Some people have really bumped on that. The fact that it is a Stephen a Kingian sort of ultimately large story, sort of in a, a true crime package, and the sort of the juxtaposition of those two things. People have really 
sort of pushed yeah, against. Well, and I think that's one of the best things about same, this. Same, yeah. Really. That you, it wrongs foots the, you at every well, turn. Well, I think it's the most interesting thing about it. I mean, mm. I think that is, the for me, the pitch of the show is what would happen if you took a Stephen King yeah. Supernatural thing and made it in this way. Yeah, and I think it's like really a working. true crime thing. Yeah. And I should also point out, like, you talk about the quality. This begins with this beautiful classical piano piece, yeah. the discovery of the body. And I just thought that, where it's just the music and it goes through and it intercuts as that sort of scene sort of leads into others between the timeline jumps them out quite a bit at the beginning yeah. where you see all the different characters doing things at different points and it really takes time to luxuriate in the procedural elements and there's something about that that I really enjoyed where you have them waiting around for the paperwork you have them him giving the instructions for the arrest the stuff you don't normally see in police procedurals because the level of detail might seem quite clerical and tedious but in this it really helps to build tension mm. uh, and I, I loved all that Absolutely well him giving it. the instructions yes, is really key in point doesn't it that becomes relevant yeah no no spoilers but also you mentioned the the, the car. i mean ben mendelson i love ben mendelson playing essentially a good guy you know who's kind of flawed but no because i think we're so used to ben mendelson playing quite over the top nasty people recently jason bateman astonishing and cynthia erivo's in and she hasn't yeah. even arrived yet mm. paddy considine's in paddy as well. a quite a small role yeah yeah yep. terry so uh, <laughs> no, no i uh, I really enjoyed the procedural element, obviously, yeah. element of it. I mean, that op- there's an opening sequence which is really distressing and actually really gruesome. Um, and it's oppressive and tonally really interesting from the start. That piece of music you're talking about, and it continues all the way through. I think there's strings and mm. cello. It really actually mm. reminded me of the Joker score. Mm. Uh, it reminded me of Hildor, Gus- I'm not. I'm going to say her name wrong, Gosnodortia's um, score in, in, in terms of it being really kind of doing so much more heavy lifting than a normal score it really kind of helps drive the tone home and makes it quite oppressive and quite um suffocating in places i don't quite have a handle yet on how the horror and supernatural elements are really mm. going to sit within the police procedural and and i'm going to keep going because that's what i really want to see and i feel like we haven't seen enough of that yet to really know how successful that's going to be i think it isn't a coincidence that cynthia arrivo's character's not turned mm. up yet who's obviously like some kind of psychic private detective because that's clearly where the tension between those two parts of the She's storytelling also a character come in. who appears in the mr mercedes series though not yeah. played by cynthia arrivo yeah yes <laughs> Um, but I think, and, and actually not just those main characters and those main actors, as you say, Ben Mendelsohn is phenomenal in everything. I love him being more understated, mm. although there is a bit of <laughs> going on, but um, I love him. There's a bit of that going on. Jason Bateman's amazing. And Louis Armstrong more than fucking Batman. <laughs> but actually the women around them are fantastic. Um, so um, Maeve Winningham, who plays his wife there, there's another slight change from the book is they're dealing with the loss of their own child which the grief and the kind of undercurrent of that kind of runs through the whole narrative of the first episode um julianne nicholson who plays um terry's wife is incredibly good these these kind of more peripheral players i suppose are just put in fantastic performances as well the quality of the acting and the craft of the filmmaking as you say fuck me jason bateman can make (laughs) great fucking television and i think it was actually his original he took it to them originally and pitched it this is his thing those things are the best things about it by country mile um this tension between the genres and between those tonal elements 
I, I think we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. And I can understand people being kind of concerned about it because I think if you come to it for the horror and the supernatural and the Kingian stuff, you're probably not going to get that yet. Maybe that will be mm. delivered down the line. If you are a, you know, full-throated police procedural person like me, how do you feel when those supernatural elements comes in, when it becomes more about, I presume, you know, logic and, and evidence and facts versus the unknowable and the unimaginable and, and all of those kind of things. So it'll be interesting to see how episode three onwards, how that, that tension is kind of resolved and how that plays out on screen. Indeed. Yeah, yeah no, I'm definitely going to press on with this. Very excited to see how it uh, turns out. This is, I believe, I want to say it's 10 parts, is it, Boyd? Yes. Yes, a 10-part miniseries. Um, and it drops on Monday, January the 13th at 9pm on Sky Atlantic and Now TV. Also out this week, we have Sky One's Cobra which stars Robert Carlyle as the British Prime Minister who finds his government thrown into turmoil when a solar storm shuts down the national grid, leading to a national emergency. Cobra, of course, referring to the Cabinet Operations Briefing Rooms, where such things are handled, and not the ornery snake of the same name. Terry, is this a triumph of melodramatic fun or a disaster in truth? <laughs> um, I str- I've struggled with this, I have to say. So I, I love Robert Carlyle. I just think he's amazing. I did not buy him as the who plays the Conservative Prime Minister. Actually, just let me set the scene first of all. So he's he's the Conservative Prime Minister, and there's essentially this massive national emergency, which has somewhat to fucking do with the power going out, which doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. But basically, <laughs> everybody's going to die really fast in 30 minutes. Um, and, um, uh, and it kind of plays out between this national emergency that's unfolding and uh, what goes on within the halls of Westminster. So Victoria Hamilton plays as Chief of Staff. She is great, actually. I fucking love her. Mm. David Haig is great as the Home Secretary, as the kind of like old school, awful white man politician <laughs> um, who still seems to think it's 1973 somehow. Um, but here's the thing it's kind of there are moments of ambition there is a um, I don't want to say what happens but there is a big kind of set piece towards the end which I actually think from a production perspective they pull off relatively well Um, but it and maybe it's because there is so much great television and when things like this are done especially by US networks they're done with such kind of class and so slick and there's something very British about this and I don't necessarily mean that in a good way <laughs> um, and and I don't I can't buy when Robert Collard walks into a room there has to be a certain gravitas and a certain kind of presence to believe that he's the Prime Minister of the country at this terrible terrible time that essential conceit has to work for you to believe in it and to buy into the whole thing and to give a fuck about the whole premise Um and I didn't, and I kept tripping over that over and over and over again. It kind of undercut the entire thing for me. Um, I felt quite disappointed by it, to be honest, um, and didn't really feel particularly... I mean, this has got all the ingredients that I love. I love all that backstabbing and, and back bitch biting backstabbing bitch biting back and all that kind of but there's stuff that because you do wonder what goes on when a cobra meeting is convened mm. when Boris Johnson came back from holiday and convened the cobra meeting because of Iran what happens in that room not really much of anything that exciting by the looks of it so I, I felt I didn't feel I didn't feel it was propulsive I didn't feel like it kind of took you along um, do you know what it could have almost been for me if you're not going to pull off be able to 
pull off proper drama and cinematic tension, then just go for like kind of quite schlocky, hammy, like go that direction instead. But it kind of fell in this weird middle ground where it was kind of ambitious, but not really kind of didn't have great dramatic tension. So so Mm. I wasn't a huge Fan, what, I'm sorry. What I love of this is that when they talk about the Cobra rooms, and uh, and and it's like when they portrayed the the Situation Room in the White House in the West Wing, when you know it's this really high tech with all these satellite feeds and stuff, where you absolutely know it looks like a boardroom at NatWest. Of course like, it does. There's no way it looks anything like that. Um, but the, the, I like this was so we talked a bit after I yeah. seen the first episode of this, and I quite enjoyed the first episode. Like it was really trashy, guilty pleasure melodrama. Not trashy, not like really it's not good, that trashy. It's no, not well, trashy I mean, enough. It's Trash. On James, I found it. I found it quite enjoyable, like in the build-up to this event, uh, and then which made me watch the second episode. Now the second episode, it like I thought the first episode had twenty-four e melodrama to it. Like the second episode is when it starts to get just daft. So, I if depending on how you feel about these things, I think you know you get more of a feel. I think for the show, if you can get past the setup, which is the first episode. But unfortunately, the the negative things about the first episode kind of come to the fore more in episode two. You know, there's this slightly awkward, semi-racist thing about like rampaging asylum seekers, and it's just there's it's almost like a Lord of the Fliesy type thing where they're saying like electricity goes out and everyone turns into animals, and that seems to be the premise of it. And then they well, it's add, a bit like eight. eight days isn't it the yeah. We, yeah yeah but just not as well done but no um, i mean in terms of that theme that yes. idea yeah uh, but they add all these sort of subplot there's a subplot with the prime minister's daughter there's another one which with i just don't care about happening. yeah right. and there's someone yeah, with someone's daughter dad. shocker and then richard dormer's flying around like, i don't know what he's doing in this but at one point he keeps talking to this sort of scottish chief superintendent officer who you see at the beginning of the first episode now he's bear in mind this guy's a superintendent he appears to be the only police officer in this part of the country <laughs> and he drives around getting in trouble with no backup it's like you're a superintendent. Surely you have people. Like, how are you the only cop on the streets? And it's just, I just didn't know what was going on. And then there's there's like you know, there's an incident with a fire and this. It just feels like, you know, in episodes of 24, where because it was done in real time and there were 24 episodes, they realized that, oh, like we got this plot, but we've actually got to fill like another sort of nine hours of stuff while Jack Bauer is getting the train to this event. We've got to have some shit going on somewhere to fill out the time. And there's tons of that in this where it just feels like this is melodrama filler Mm. and it doesn't exist for any purpose it doesn't drive the plot and it's just quite dull and it feels like there's too much of that in here to really love it I I had absolutely no problem with the um, production values I actually thought it was pretty I thought actually they did a really good job generally of of the kind of of keeping it fast moving. I thought it was shot really well, and and I say the big set piece thing. Yeah. I thought was really well done. So I actually I I thought I didn't think it was that British at all. For, uh, so I didn't I didn't see that. But I think there's one huge flaw in it, and I was enjoying it as you say. I, I love Victoria Hamilton. Yeah. The intro there's a scene with David Haig putting his hand on her. Oh God. Which is brilliantly done, and he does not remove his hand even though she tells him to. And I'm like that is a great little scene, and I wanted more of that the political stuff I thought was really good really well done but with one huge flaw which is that his character this character of the conservative prime minister Robert Carlyle plays is just a blank and it's like well we've almost gone and interesting so we interviewed him for Pilot TV the next issue and in that interview slight spoiler alert he talks about how um, you know he was quite surprised to be cast as a conservative prime minister and all of this and how he kind of made him look at um, even 
Tory politicians. He's obviously not a natural Tory himself. He just, he just isn't. And look at them in a new light and the humanity of them and all of that. And that's all fine. But who is this guy? It's like, I think they've vaguely gone, let's go for a David Cameron type. Mm. And obviously David Cameron in a way was a bit of a blank, you know, mm. but there was still something to him. And I feel like there's nothing, they haven't given him a character. It's enough. They feel like we've created a prime minister. He's a Tory. He's got a family. His daughter's, there's going to be a drug thing going on with her, which as you say, is very, is a bit lame and not that interesting. And they just don't give him enough to do. And I think it's, you've got Robert Carlyle, who's brilliant, you know, and he, he should either be, I don't know, funnier, um, sillier, uh, stupider, more intelligent or something, just something. And it just feels like there's a big nothing, a big blank at the centre of it. And I've, I, I watched, I haven't watched, I'm halfway through the second episode, and I quite like, I even quite like all of that craziness you're talking about. Mm. I, I agree. I don't think it's crazy enough. I don't think it's um, cheesy and over the top enough. And I, particularly with his character, I think his character's too just normal and dull. So what you're talking about the cobra scenes i think they feel that way a bit because of him well and and the cons- the whole conceit right is this is around the cobra panel and that yeah. is ru- the, the heart yeah. of every cobra panel yeah. is meant to be the leader of our yeah. country right. and that person is everything's meant to rotate around them and i he's so on not unimpressive because as you say the the material isn't necessarily there for him to work with but he's not the centre of anything at all you're not but the others are fine like I think Richard Dormer's character is funny interesting you know he's got a nice dog and all that and and, you know (laughs) he's got a nice dog (laughs) that's where we've ended up folks he's got a nice dog but I think like I think they've spent a lot of time on everyone else being quite interesting and there's there's some great I I think that David Haig is the star for me I mean actually Victoria both of them and he's, he's wheeling and dealing and his shenanigans with other characters and all of that but it's the big, big, big blank centre of it that's mm. the issue for me. But I probably will carry on watching. I have to say, <laughs> but I love this. I like this kind of political. I would have been happy with the political drama without the whole disaster thing element of it. I think I would too, to be honest. I, I would, I would like to see much more of sort of like the halls of power in Westminster, mm. walking around, you know, backstabbing. But I think you you're know. still going to get that throughout the ten episodes. I'm sure. Yeah, in between, like the ceiling falling in and yeah. rampaging yeah. foreign criminals yeah. oh, killing sorry, people parts. in the streets. Six parts. Six ten. parts. Yeah. Okay, fine. So there's not, they don't have to fill it with that much. No. <laughs> right. So Cobra is, as we have discovered, a six part mini series which drops on Sky One and presumably on Now TV. Yes. On Friday, January the 17th at 9. PM. Now, a few other things to talk about. So also out, we have missed a few things. You've mentioned Deadwater Fell, which started on January the 10th, and you quite like. Treadstone, which is the uh, Jason Bourne spin-off show that drops on Amazon, or dropped on Amazon on Friday the 10th as well. Uh, I watched the first episode of that. It's okay. Yeah, so did I. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 really, it's not great. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's not great. Like, they, they try and be quite borny. It's got quite sort of borny music, and they even try and do the kind of uh, Greengrass-esque fast edits in the action sequence doesn't quite work it's about loads of sort of treadstone era sleeper agents waking up around the world and and it's fine um the new pope uh started on sunday the 12th at 9 p.m i haven't seen it Boyd, was it any good um it's wild the new pope it really is it's like if you want to see you know basically they've given the the, the maverick director writer just to, millions of pounds to do what the fuck he wants and he really does go for it that's all i'll say Okay. I mean, it's the same with the first series. It's even more crazy, mm. the first series. But, but yeah. good. But, yeah, I like it, but mm. I'm not sure if it's going to sustain, however, again, it's another eight or ten, however many hours there are. 
Uh, there's a new series of Cold Feet starting tonight. It's Monday the 13th. Are you excited about that, Boyd? Cold Feet is, is, is a good show, yeah. I, I mean, watched the like... first run. I've not watched it since it came back, but I watched the whole of its first initial. In the 90s. But yeah, yeah, I watched all of that. I just haven't watched it since it returned. I was not expecting you to be plugging <laughs> Cold Feet, I have no, to say. I've decided that my also out section is not comprehensive enough, so I'm trying to I'm trying to branch out a little bit in case people want more With information. The Mars Singer, sadly. Yeah. Peppa the Mars Singer, on of course. A, uh, yes, 340? Yes. yes, thank you, <laughs> Snark Masters. Um, Grace and Frankie, new series of that, uh, which drops on Wednesday, January the 15th on Netflix. Grace and Frankie's supposed to be brilliant, and I have never watched it. That's a big blind spot for me. I mean, I wouldn't say it's brilliant. I've no, watched I've quite a lot really of it. Good things, really? I really like, no, I don't think it's brilliant, no. It's not, it's, I don't think, yeah, it's good. It's decent. Nothing with that <laughs> many Sorkin alumni in it can possibly oh, be bad. Oh, here we go. That's all I'm saying. So, oh, The Rookie, Nathan Fillion's new show, that drops on Sky Witness on Thursday the 16th. I don't know if that's any good. It almost certainly isn't, but who knows. Uh, good Omens comes to BBC <laughs> Two on the 15th. This, 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 this is the new section where James judges stuff without seeing yeah. it. Yeah. This, is, this is the stuff I deemed too shit to watch. <laughs> it's a bold new initiative. I hope you enjoy it. Um, like I say, Good Omens, uh, which was previously on Amazon, is now on the BBC as of 15th of January. Uh, Terry and Boyd, if you recall, didn't like that. They were both wrong. I enjoyed now, it more. I changed my. I did a reverse on that. I, oh, you I enjoyed it more ferret. as it went on. I took a reverse ferret. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I good. didn't. <laughs> Terry didn't. Um, new season of Modern Family on Sky One from the seventeenth. Don't watch that. Big fan uh, of that. And oh, and 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 seventeenth of Jan. Now this is one that we probably should have watched and haven't. So Little America, which is the anthology show, and Apple Plus's new newest original show. This drops on that service from the seventeenth as well. I haven't seen that. It is an anthology show. It is on Apple Plus. That's basically all I know. Boyd, can you help at all? I haven't watched it either. Excellent. Sorry. So, that's a show. We that, can't do you know, everything. Like a box of chocolates. Just go into that unknown and see what happens. Like eating revels. Yeah. You won't know what happens till you we watch under- it. We understand. Thank you. We understand. Okay, good. Thanks, for, thanks for laboring that gag. <laughs> Pick of the week. Sex education. Of course. Pick of the year, I'm saying, but that's perhaps preemptive. Okay, before we sign off, boy, do you have a do you have a January banshee for us? I have a little banshee. Yeah, this is inspired by Julianne Nicholson, who, as we said, is brilliant in um, The Outsider. And there was she starred in an American show called Eyewitness, which came out in 2016. Only lasted one season, and it was an American remake of a very good Norwegian series called Eyewitness in Norwegian, um, <laughs> which all. <laughs> Because I, I was gonna, I was gonna about to try and pronounce the actual Swedish version, which I'll show you there. But then I thought, no. Um, it's a story. It all starts off with two teenage boys um, having a secret relationship in a barn out somewhere in in the wilderness, and they witness a crime. They witness a killing, and they can't tell anyone about it because they want to keep their own thing secret. And it all spins off from there. And she plays the lead detective in the story. The Norwegian version was shown on ITV three or four or something a few years ago, and it was really, really good. And I then watched the American version which she stars and she's the best thing about it Gia Nicholson is so good in it and it's a bit of a shame it was kind of a self-contained story anyway but mm. it's a really good show Eyewitness with Julianne Nicholson try and find it somewhere that okay. sounds amazing yeah. I'm going to write I'm going to write that down oh, I, see, I see what's happening here I've already lost and I haven't even gone yet <laughs> Go. Right, okay well I'm going to talk about a little show you may not have heard of called The Bridge You can't be serious I was waiting. I expected you both to pile on there. I gave you space, and you took your. Ages. Terry's too busy making notes. And that's my... because that's because I knew what he was doing because he set it up and he wants the reaction. Don't give it to him. He's the Poundland <laughs> Piers Morgan. <laughs> wow, that's quite the billing. Uh, no, see, I don't mean that one. I mean the other bridge. And boy, before you jump in and say everyone has seen that bridge as well, 
I don't mean that bridge. And then don't jump in and say, do you mean the tunnel? Because I don't mean that one either. I mean the bridge that you've never heard of, the 2010 bridge starring Aaron Douglas. This was a whole, that whole setup was, and we didn't, and we ruined it for him because we were both meant to go, have you seen it? And then he was going to be smug and we didn't give it to him. And now he's had to even make make the smugness even more contrived. Do I mean the bridge? (laughs) No, I don't. We never thought you did, to be honest, but carry on. You've ruined my match already, but it's fine. So this was actually a Canadian show. So Aaron Douglas, who played Chief Tyrrell on Battlestar Galactica, which is my connection here, who I think is fucking brilliant on that show. And he's been in loads and loads and loads of shows since then, but in sort of generally supporting roles. But he was the lead in this, and he played... um, a character called uh, Frank Leo, and he was head of the sort of police union. So the bridge in this case uh, refers to uh, the bridge which connects the, the sort of wealthy neighbourhood of Toronto with the poor neighbourhood of Toronto. And he's this police union boss, and he has to solve all these problems for the police force while trying to root out corruption in it. And I only saw this because when I was in Canada on a set visit, <laughs> this was on, and I watched a bunch of them while I was there. To the best of my knowledge, it has never come to the UK. And it only had one season, and it got cancelled, and literally almost no one watched it. But but I really enjoyed it because he's great and to see Aaron Douglas leading a series just made my heart sing I was very very happy for it so that is The Bridge 2010 Bridge not the others uh, starring Aaron Douglas you can't watch it because it almost yeah. certainly never aired in this country but I really enjoyed it well you lose 25 points <laughs> 25 points for smugness you lose 25 points 25 points for scripting our responses and then being disappointed in us for not saying what you decided we should be saying and you lose 50 points for choosing something that nobody in this country can even begin to watch. It might be on YouTube. So, we, illegally... Yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> so, so, I think the clear winner is Boyd. And I am actually going to watch Eyewitness. That Excellent. sounds really exciting. Yeah. Well, well done, Boyd. You probably nice. deserve that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And that is it for the first pilot podcast of 2020. Uh, we hope it helped ease you into the new year as painlessly as possible. As ever, if that is the case, do head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Unlike listener MNYC80, one of our American listeners who said, amongst other things, they have abysmal taste in television. At this point, I mostly listen to hear how ridiculous their recommendations are (laughs) and guess... And to guess what they'll get wrong next. (laughs) And yet, and yet, that person still gave us three stars, which is a recommendation. So, thanks. (laughs) As ever, you can find us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, at Boyd Hilton, and at Pilot TV Mag. We will be back next week when, (laughs) ironically, after 68 episodes of Build Up, we will have seen Star Trek Picard, and yet we will not be able to talk about it. We've got another Witcher situation here. So you'll just have to kind of judge from from Terry's demeanour, how she felt about it, from my, I guess, smugness, how I felt about it, and boy, who we know will like it anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, exciting. You know, yeah, Picard, right, it's finally yeah. here. You know, I'm, I'm, I might watch it. I might not. We'll see. You know um, that um, three-minute wanking montage at the top of Sex Education? <laughs> You're saying that's going to be the beginning of next episode. Yes, join us next yeah, week. Yeah, the ultimate um, taboo sex actor, James Dyer, watching Picard. <laughs> While masturbating furiously. Tune in next week for the extended wanking montage over Picard. Uh, make it so. Pilot out. Pilot out.